Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. Richard Lane with you on Friday, May the 3rd. This week we're focusing on tobacco control as the Lancet publishes a trio of series papers concerning that topic. The matters are going to be discussed at the American Thoracic Society meeting on Tuesday, May the 21st. Also look out for publications from our new monthly journal, the Lancet Respiratory Medicine, which is also publishing about tobacco. But for the podcast, we're focusing on one of the Lancet series papers, and that is tobacco control in Europe. And I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Professor John Britton from the University of Nottingham. John Britton, thanks for talking to us. A few points we can discuss here. Let's start off with a, a general question. How well, compared to other regions of the world, is Europe doing in terms of tobacco control? Europe is a mixture. We have uh, some countries, Ireland, the United Kingdom, uh, Norway, that are doing very well. There are other countries where progress is, is a bit slower. There are other parts of the world, such as Australia, US states, that have achieved very low prevalence of smoking. The lowest prevalence in Europe is in Sweden, and there may be other explanations to account for that. So it's a very mixed picture, but with some examples of very good practice. So, John, what can countries who are doing less well in the European region, how can they learn from countries who are doing better? In other words, what works? What works are straightforward policies that have been identified for 50 years or more, which is to put up the price of tobacco, ban advertising, make public places and workplaces smoke-free, provide cessation services for smokers who want to quit, and stop tobacco advertising, either paid for or covert, and then introduce harm reduction policies so that smokers have an option of something else to use if they are uh, unable to quit completely. And how important has this WHO framework on tobacco control been? Because this sounds like a very grand document, and I don't mean to sound disparaging, but I'm wondering what it means tangibly at, at an individual country level. Are countries adopting it? And so is this, this, is this general framework being converted into national policy? Well, in the early years, I would agree with you that it looked rather grander than it was. Most countries now have have uh, signed up and ratified the treaty, but very few have introduced all of its provisions. However, it's announced that in summer of this year, Russia will implement a very comprehensive tobacco control law, which will implement, as I understand it, a lot of the FCTC uh, provisions. And if that's the case, and if that's been driven by the FCTC, then that's really quite an achievement. So I think it may still be early days to, to, to call the shots on that. That's interesting. So Russia, presumably, who are doing less well compared to other countries in the European region, could benefit from adopting FCTC guidelines. Yes. Uh, Russia has had an unusual experience with tobacco in that after the wall came down and, and the Russian states uh, adopted capitalism, the tobacco companies moved in in a big way and drove a huge epidemic of smoking. So male smoking prevalence in Russia has been extremely high, though recent evidence suggests it's starting to come down, so they have actually turned the corner, but still it's a, about half of all Russian men smoke. So there's an awful lot to do there, but as I've said, it seems promising that the FCTC seems to be being implemented, and if so, then there'll be a big impact on Russian smoking. Now, understandably, when you're looking Looking at something like the effect of tobacco on health at a population level, words like cessation are always used. It's all about you know, getting people to stop smoking and to implement some of the measures you've already mentioned. You don't often hear much about the amount, the relative amount that people smoke, because you have heavy smokers, you have medium level smokers, and you have 
very light smokers, don't you? That never seems to be discussed. It always seems to be talking about smokers and non-smokers. Is that something that public health should be addressing, looking at the relative amount of smoking that goes on? It's a good question. The evidence is that it matters how much you smoke, depends on the shape of the exposure response curve for the outcome you're looking at. So for lung cancer, for example, it would appear that the more cigarettes you smoke, the more harm you sustain. But for things like heart disease, the bulk of the damage is done with just the first cigarette of the day. So light smokers probably do have better health outcomes than heavy smokers, but they all smokers have very poor health outcomes relative to non-smokers. So the the key to preventing smoking-related diseases to get people off smoked tobacco. Now, in the paper, you do talk about some of the more recent ideas that have come along, some of them being quite controversial too, this idea of nicotine replacement and also electronic cigarettes, which seem to be increasingly popular. Do you think there's a place still for these therapies? I think there's a huge place for alternative sources of nicotine. One of the, the real leads in, in achieving low cigarette smoking prevalence in Europe is Sweden and the thing that distinguishes Sweden from other European countries is the available of a smokeless tobacco product which is very widely used in place of cigarettes and whilst that is a particularly controversial topic and there are those who will argue that other policies have also contributed or even explain the low prevalence in Sweden. Personally, I don't agree with that view. I think that the availability of smokeless tobacco has been extremely important and it demonstrates that if you provide smokers with a choice that isn't medicalized and isn't, isn't a difficult thing to access or an expensive thing to access, they will choose less hazardous nicotine products. So the challenge for the rest of Europe and in fact for the rest of the world is to make products like that available to smokers easily, cheaply, acceptably. The consequence of that could, could be the saving of millions of lives. And returning to a, to a broader question, where countries within Europe are doing well, you mentioned Sweden, possibly the UK and, and some other countries, presumably smoking rates are the lowest they've ever been. Is that right? Are they still coming down? They're still coming down and they've still got a long way to go. Sweden is in the low teens, which is the lowest by far. The UK is now hovering around the 20% mark. But that conceals pockets of very high prevalence. Smoking is very strongly related to socioeconomic disadvantage. And when you move into clusters of society where disadvantaged people live, so you encounter the sorts of prevalence of smoking that we would see across Britain 30 or 40 years ago. Which in itself is controversial, or rather the fact that increasing taxes in terms of the, uh, limiting the accessibility of tobacco is controversial because if the poorest people in society are smoking the most, they're potentially going to be made poorer by tax increases. That's true, and that argument has been advanced against tax increases ever since the early 1960s. The evidence is that poorer smokers, including young children, for example, are particularly susceptible to price as a tobacco control measure, but are much more likely to seek alternative sources of supply to get around price increases. I think the way that tobacco products are priced across Europe with the range of prices that's available, not even beginning to look at the availability of illicit supply, almost always provide smokers with an opportunity to trade down either to a budget brand or to hand-rolling tobacco if they can't afford to continue to buy cigarettes.
But just as a further point, I think from a moral point of view, that's why if you're going to bring in any measures that make it more difficult for people to afford cigarettes, you have to back that up with effective treatments so that people have the choice of going and and getting off cigarettes altogether. Where are we now with industry? Because the tobacco industry has been, and probably still is, particularly in some regions of the world, extremely influential. We know a lot about how big tobacco is particularly marketing itself in, in less developed settings where smoking rates are increasing compared to, say, good areas of Europe where they have been decreasing. What's the situation now? Do you think big tobacco is under control or do they, do they still need more regulation? The tobacco industry is extremely pervasive and extremely powerful. They're a very rich industry. The combined global income of the tobacco industry is greater than about 80% of the world's countries. This is a, an industry that, that can pull strings. I think in the better organised countries, that influence has declined, but It's still there, and if we look across Europe, what we see is that the more corrupt a government is, the higher the prevalence of smoking in that country will be. And personally, I think that tells us almost directly that politicians and policymakers are susceptible to arguments from industry and will put those into practice sometimes and often over and above the public health interest. And finally, your paper does come to a pretty clear conclusion, but I think you've mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast, but perhaps you could just summarise it again. The policies that work are very simple and straightforward. You make public places smoke-free, you ban all tobacco advertising, and we must act much more to remove tobacco advertising and smoking advertising from films and television and so on. You close off the opportunity to promote brand and brand identity through pack design, so make cigarette packs and tobacco packs plain. You put up prices and remove the the budget options that allow smokers to tr- downtrade to a less expensive product. And you make sure that smokers who want to quit can access effective services that will help them to do so. If we want to cut the burden of disease from smoking that falls on our society over the next decade, it's current smokers that we need to to get hold of and, and encourage them to pack in. Well, that's a very clear summary and call to action. So that's Professor John Britton on the line from Nottingham in the UK. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. And thank you all for listening. See you next time.